0: Yes, we're going to talk about personal branding, and yes, we're going to talk about my guest and her background and stuff like that, but we're also going to be talking about a pretty difficult topic, which I think you'll find really interesting and hopefully applicable to your life or to the life of someone you love, and have I teased this enough? I think I have, so it's time for me to introduce you to my guest tonight, Mandy Capehart, and there she is. Welcome Hi. to the Nonfiction Brand Hi, DT, Podcast. How are
1: you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, it was my pleasure to be on your podcast, the Restorative Grief Podcast. And that actually is a little bit of a hint to listeners about that difficult topic that I kind of teased at the beginning of this live stream. And we're going to cover all aspects of it. But first of all, one, I welcome you to the show. But the thing that attracted me to actually having a conversation with you was that you didn't wanna talk about click funnels or click through rates or SEO or Facebook ads. You wanted to talk very deeply about one of the most difficult topics known to humankind, and that is grief. Can you tell me, well, first of all, Can you give a little bit of an intro to your podcast and what it's about, and then go into why you chose to select that very difficult, sticky topic to become kind of the center of who you are, what you do, and how you do it online and via podcast?
1: Absolutely. Grief is the conversation no one wants to have. It's the field no one wants to work in, and yet it's the most valuable area of life that we can begin to unpack, in my opinion. And I feel very strongly about the grief work that I've been doing because for the last five years, almost oh, six years, we've been navigating the world without my mom. And while she is the most significant loss I've experienced, she is one of many. I think there are, there, it's hard to remember a year in my life that I haven't lost someone that mattered very deeply to me. So after my mom died, I decided that it was time to take what was growing and being rebirthed within me and really run headfirst into something meaningful. Not because I needed to create meaning out of my loss (laughs) or like have a purpose out of it, but because I knew I wasn't the only one dealing with grief in a way that it just didn't make sense anymore. So The fast forward to the restorative grief project, my book, restorative grief, the restorative grief podcast, all of it is branded under the same name. It all came about in 2020. I was dealing with a miscarriage, loss of a job, loss of my reputation because of a former job. Just So many different sections of my life were experiencing massive levels of grief and all these different experiences kind of coalesced when the pandemic shut down everything i was working with a group of women at the time leading this kind of grassroots monthly gathering where women would come together and tell a story about themselves and their faith and their experiences of life and just encourage one another and i recognized that this was an opportunity now that i wasn't working in pandemic land trying to figure out what i want to be when i grow up let's combine all of it let's combine the beauty of story the experiences of loss, the training I've gone through with grief and growth and bring it to something that can support people differently. Because right now, and we're experiencing it daily, but at the time I realized I was about to live in a world that would be generationally impacted by grief because of the pandemic. And so many of us have no idea what to do. So what I turned into the Restorative Grief Project really came from That recognition of globally untended grief and my own experience in my faith practice, the church I've been a part of for decades almost, has been incredible and wonderful and loving. And yet it does not matter how well someone loves you if they don't know how to handle grief or how to help you heal through it without offering platitudes and minimizing and trying to qualify your loss or qualify your experience as, you know, divinely inspired or part of a plan. So that's a very quick overview of why I got involved in this field because I'm someone who does not shy away from hard conversations. I would rather be really authentic and really uncomfortable and recognize that there's so much beauty in the mud and we can actually exist in the mud without freaking out if we're in the middle of these insanely complicated and emotional hard places. We can't just continue to try and live like islands and isolate ourselves. So the project is just a free online coaching group that's designed for anybody who needs a soft place to fall apart. There's a lot of coaching in there. There's a lot of conversation that starts, but so many of my participants just observe and will send me private messages saying, thank you. I know I'm not participating, but thank you for letting me just be here. It's helping. So everything I'm doing, my heart is to make grief a little lighter and help people find alignment in what they've lost, but also in who they are again, in all of the areas.
0: It's interesting. And then of course this podcast, the kind of tentpole ideas that we talk about are revolve around the idea of personal branding and, and putting yourself out there in a way that people can truly understand who you are, what you do and how you do it. And also understand the value that you can bring to them. And consequently story is a big part of that. What is the story you tell? What is the true story of who you are, what you do and how you do it? All of these things. But one of the things I want to point out that I hear you talking about, and again, please don't, listeners, do not think this is a mercenary conversation about you know how to take advantage of audiences and emotional levers and stuff like that, because that's not what it's about. It truly is about doing what you did, which was find something, about which you have a passionate engagement or uh, interest. And consequently, you've picked the gorilla in the room and you're staring right at that gorilla and you're shining the light on that gorilla that a lot of us have in our lives. And you're actually, I hate to say building a brand, but that's kind of true. Your your podcast is called Restorative Grief. Your book is called Restorative Grief. Everything about you is about that concept of restorative grief. And that means a lot of different things. One is that you don't talk about click funnels and SEO, and how many times do you post, and what social channel is right for you. And so you're defining yourself very, very, very much in the Pat and riches in the niches, very narrow area. And if listeners need an example of someone who's done that incredibly successfully for themselves, and you and I have talked about this on your podcast, all you have to do is look at Brene Brown, who who literally did the science, the social science groundwork on concepts revolving around shame and vulnerability. Well, shame, vulnerability, and grief... They aren't exactly, close siblings, but they're certainly in the same family. They are things so that they're people,
1: connected, no doubt.
0: Yeah, with, without doubt. And I'd love for you to, to talk about that, especially from the point of view of why you've chosen to embrace that and where you see your career going based on the fact that your tent pole concept is restorative grief. Can you give us first, can you say what restorative grief is? in a diff kind of a 30 second definition form.
1: Yeah. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So my perspective of grief is that it's the other side of life. It's two sides of the same coin. It flips for all of us. And when it comes to finding our way to healing, we get stuck on the false concept of stages. And my mindset is one that believes healing is ongoing. There's no arriving. We don't move on from grief. We actually grow and integrate and bring things with us and become fuller, more aligned versions of who we are. And so my work is really resonating around this perspective of you are in grief, completely out of alignment, mind, body, heart, and spirit. And with intention and with education and prayer and grace for yourself, whatever that looks like for you, because it's really not predicated on a faith practice of my faith practice, obviously. You begin to find ways that bring your mind back into alignment and ways that bring your heart center back into the alignment and your body comes back into alignment. And as you heal, you notice things are showing up a little differently in your grief process. The way that things hit previously are suddenly hitting a little bit softer. So restorative grief takes a look at the whole person, recognizing that the whole person has experienced loss whether it's a job change, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a death, whether it's a move, no matter the grief, and recognizes that it impacts the wholeness of who we are. And so our goal in the restorative grief world is to pursue wholeness on all those fronts, knowing very well we will not arrive, there will be no, oh good, we're done, but that it's integrated into this whole beauty of who we are and who we are becoming.
0: Well, I think that's really interesting because a lot of people are probably familiar with Helen Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And I think you alluded to them, you know, the idea that, you know, there's bargaining and acceptance and, you know, all that stuff. And I think that framework was helpful and it certainly put Helen Kubler-Ross on the map so much so that a very lay psychologist, um, you know, my psychology training was psych 101 in college, right? But I know who Helen Kubler-Ross is. She put herself on the map in terms of who she was and what values she brought to people. So that framework became kind of the foundation for her, dare I say, her personal sure. brand. And, you know, it, before we go any further, I, I saw a tweet today that I kind of went, uh-huh, yeah, that's exactly right. Somebody said, I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I hear someone say, that's my brand and not cringe. And I agree, because <laughs> if someone ever said, that's my brand, I would cringe. However, yeah. as, as someone who truly believes in personal branding and what it does for you, a brand is not something you say, hey, here's my brand. It is, here is everything about me packaged so you can understand who I am, what I do and how I do it. In a way that makes it easy for you to engage with me appropriately or pass me off to others who might need my services, my whatever I have to bring to the table. So this is my way of saying Helen Kubler-Ross looked the gorilla in the face and gave it a framework. Brene Brown looks the gorilla in the face and gave it a framework. I think you're doing the same thing. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's really smart, especially the implied upside of restorative grief. It's one, own the grief, take the grief, deal with the grief, understand it's never going away, but you can restore yourself from it. And again, I I don't want to make this all about everything that you're talking about when it comes to grief, but I, I can't talk to you about your personal brand without really delving into what that means. So let's look at restorative. What does that actually mean in your framework, if you want to call it that?
1: It actually goes back to Kubler-Ross's original model. So she worked with, well, David Kessler was another one that took her model, worked with her, and brought it forward. And those original five stages were developed out of her work with terminally ill patients. She observed what they were experiencing and recognized these five steps as really what almost every one of them, at some point, knowing they went back and forth, but eventually arrived on acceptance that they were terminal and that they weren't going to survive their illness. Kessler over the years has done a ton of work in the grief world and has been a very loud voice for this, for everyone that's grieving, which is wonderful. And when I decided to write my book, I actually built it on this 31 day go as slowly as you want to guidebook, book, if you will, based on the five stages. But My perspective and where restoration comes from has always been predicated that there is a sixth step. We are surviving. We are living beyond whatever the losses that we are experiencing that's happening to us. And there has to be more than just, okay, I accept that that's gone. I accept that that's ended and now I'm moving on. When I decided to put the book out, the sixth step is restoration. It's recognizing and redefining yourself in a way that isn't just minimizing what you experienced, isn't simply saying, well, now that I have to sacrifice my faith because those didn't, those beliefs don't align with what I know to be true now, or I have to sacrifice this dream because something has changed. It's actually looking more intentionally at the fact that you lost a sense of self when you experienced that grief event as well. We have secondary losses in ourselves that we don't always recognize. And restoration is a matter of recognizing all the disparate parts of who we are, what we're pursuing, what we want, and finding ways and tools and techniques that restore us to ourselves, to our sense of self, to our sense of community, to our connection, to our faith practice, whatever that looks like, and really being intentional. And I love that when I, I self-published this book, because I just wanted it out there, out of my hands, out into the world, and Kessler came out with a sixth step And I'm, I think it's, I don't know what it is finality. I'm losing it right now as to what it was, but I was so just, okay, settled. I feel in flow. I feel in the right position here with the entire universe coming together and saying, I'm on the right path, that there is more. And we know that there's more, but when all the experts are telling you, this is it, this is the steps. These are the, this is the path you need to walk down to heal. And then it doesn't work or doesn't apply. It becomes wildly discouraging and so many people just give up. They just stop deciding to pay attention to their grief or become intentional about it. And that's really where a restorative grief gets to say, well, actually, you don't have to be actively grieving your entire life, but you do have to be intentional as you go through it. And as it comes up to you, you don't have to be a fish just tossed around in the ocean. You can be the rock that the ocean waves crash onto and then retreat from.
0: There are a couple things I want to talk about. I want to go back to when you were talking about everything being in alignment. One, Mm -hmm. long-time listeners to this podcast will know I love that word alignment. It is literally making sure that you are fully aligned as an individual, not only internally, spiritually, but also externally in terms of how you engage with people, where you engage with them, what you promise them in terms of value, what you deliver. All those things need to be aligned. So I love that. The other thing is the restorative part, because I hate to say it, but I think it's a a brilliant graft on to the five stages because the last stage of Helen Kubler-Ross's was acceptance, right? You go through it and finally you accept it. Now to me, you accept it sounds like you get over it. You just move on. And the answer is, you know, without going into detail, we talked about it on your podcast. I've had some significant grief episodes in my life. You never get over it. It's never gone. It's always there. But you can come up out of it. You can restore. and I love that idea of of restoration. It's almost like you know, if you have to put it in in terms of a, a beautiful chest of drawers that you find by the side of the road that's been beaten up by life, but you look at it and say, boy, you know, the 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 foundation of that chest of drawers that the wood is high quality, the design, the craftsmanship, the carpentry. It needs a new finish, but it is fundamentally sound and it can be restored. So I'm someone who loves analogy and I love metaphor for describing things. I don't think you could come up with a better word to describe what you just said, which is, yes, you have to go through these phases. You're never over it, but you can restore yourself. Maybe, maybe, of course, not without a few scars or whatever, but you don't have to just be stuck. You can be restored.
1: There's a, a lot of the work that I do is... So I work pretty much equally with grievers and grief supporters. So... Primarily for myself, I was dealing with a lot of people who didn't know how to address my directness. I'm like you've noticed, I'm not afraid of ugly, hard conversations. I will say the confrontational big thing that needs to be said, and I will watch to see what happens to know can you handle this conversation? Can you handle the intensity of loss in my life? And so many people were not, and in the most loving way, not able to do that. And it goes beyond the two weeks of, you know, initial support and sympathy and empathy and trying to come alongside you. It's how do people learn to come alongside you in the long haul? And I think where restoration becomes difficult is where we don't have people willing to be uncomfortable with us. We have platitudes because people are centering themselves in our discomfort. They hear our story of loss and they say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I too experienced that and I'm okay now. Or, oh my gosh, you have cancer. My uncle had cancer and he had this treatment. Have you thought about that? We put our own spin on stories thinking, if we can just rationalize this or think around it, everything will be comfortable and easy again. When the truth is, not only is life not really comfortable or easy, grief was never going to be comfortable or easy. However, if we, on the front end of experiencing loss or realizing we have to support someone through loss or support ourselves, can recognize that discomfort doesn't destroy us, Stretching is actually an incredible thing for our internal sense of alignment, our internal sense of understanding of the world. And becoming intimately aware of and connected to grief deepens the human experience. There is not one person I know who is not grieving something right now. And it's funny because I think sometimes friends or new friends even are a little hesitant to talk to me because I listen and then I ask questions that are so clearly loaded questions in the most loving and kind of ways, but they'll have this take a breath moment and recognize I'm going after something bigger. And I don't, because I don't wanna waste our time on small talk, I don't want to sit back for a moment and see that a friend has an opportunity to wrestle with their shame or their hidden vulnerability, all that stuff that we think if we just tuck it away, no one will believe that we experience it, even though we all experience it. That's where Brene comes into my work. But it's just the most rewarding moment to see someone that is in pain have a sense of stillness come over them. Mind, heart, body, or spirit, whatever it looks like, whatever comes first for them. And to really just draw that into themselves. And it's worth all of the discomfort. So the work I'm doing with grief supporters is helping people recognize like, are you actually invited in to support this person in grief? We have a lot of people who will say, oh my gosh, let me know what you need, or I'm here, whatever you want. But that's giving homework to the grievers. That's saying, go figure it out. You have you know grief brain, your mind is full of fog. You probably aren't sure if you ate this morning and probably don't remember the last time you showered, but sure, I'll spend my time just telling you to figure it out. So having the opportunity to train people like, actually, that wasn't the best way to approach them. Here's why. It's not true for everyone. Maybe that was the perfect way to approach that person. And that's between you and them and that deep connection between you. But if you're willing to be someone that wants to say, I want to be with you in the highest, most exciting, wonderful parts of your life, you have to be willing to be committed in the hardest, most painful parts as well. So we have to just learn how to do it. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's also
0: something everybody, every human being is going to run across through their life Mm -hmm. and many of us, uh, I would say probably the vast majority of us are already in some level of that situation. And hopefully listeners and viewers of the live stream, I think you're saying exactly why I wanted to talk to Mandy on the nonfiction brand podcast, because she's dealing with an incredibly difficult topic. And yet she's trying to build a business on that topic. And again, it gets a little icky, it gets a little sticky when we, we talk about business, about something like this, and yet this is something that people desperately need. It does require a great deal of effort on Mandy's part in terms of time and training and you know developing and creating new systems and frameworks and stuff like that. So the idea of giving it away for free is not necessarily something that's going to be something she wants to do the rest of her life unless she wants to live in a refrigerator box down by the river. I don't think she wants to do that. So I really do want to go into more detail about how she's actually getting out there with her message about restorative grief. But also, I don't want to use the word monetize, please. I do not want to talk about monetization, but I do want to talk about how you can continue to do your work in a way that allows you to have a house, allows you to have a family, Mm -hmm. allows you to occasionally take a vacation, you know, something like this. So we have a lot to talk about. (laughs) Oh yeah. What's a vacation? I don't
1: don't know. Not in the last while. I will say it's funny you say that because you're exactly right. It's something that I've, I've, I give it away all the time. I give away copies of my book. I coach people online through, uh, we do a lot of Twitter spaces, some friends and I, and they're just the most precious Moments. The Facebook group is free. Instagram is free. I don't do active coaching on Instagram, but it's it's something that is so important to me that yes, I'm willing to do another full time job so that I can be doing this on the side on the side right now. But it's it's crucial, and so I I spent so much time. You know, I was in marketing for a while, and so I did the whole story brand. I've done Pat Flynn's work. I've done a couple of others. I've tried. I have all the Click Funnels. I have all the knowledge. And it, it's so, you're right, it's just the part where I'm like, this isn't the authentic version of me, and I'm very much a person that says alignment over accolades. And so if that means that I'm not going to get paid very well, <laughs> that's okay. If I'm seeing somebody find wholeness and recognizing, like, they can offer that same characteristic in themselves to a friend, that means that the work I've done is meaningful enough that it's impacted someone I don't know. Okay, I'm done. That's good enough. I didn't decide to do this because I thought it would be incredibly financially life-altering. I was very aware that, okay, pinch your pennies as you self-develop this or self-publish this book and edit your own work. The thing, your background is in editing as well. And <laughs> glad you're also a photographer. Go make the photo shoots or whatever you need work. So it's been a grind since day one. and honestly, that's part of who I am. I'm always someone who's willing to do what it takes. To move the needle for someone else, even if it means moving my needle <laughs> very low. And then, okay, we need some time for my own restoration and then it, it empties again. But I mean, it means something to me.
0: Yeah. And that's the most important thing. I would say that you understand very, very well what alignment is, especially when it comes to aligning your passions with your work, with your effort, with even the way you engage with the world about it. So, you and I are a bit alike when it comes to, yeah, I don't mind doing the podcast. I don't mind writing and creating and self publishing and editing and doing the cover art and all that stuff for my own books. But then when it comes down to, I probably should have a web based course format, maybe several different courses at different price tiers and, you know, with all the click funnels and, and all that stuff. And, you know, that's where I fall off the, the whole hustle, hustle, hustle bus, it, because it's not aligned with me. And frankly, that's where I should get someone associated with me. I should pay them, actually, to do that stuff for me. But I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm an idea guy. Big strategy, big ideas, and then let execution fall apart at the end because that's not what I do best. And frankly, I know that about myself. Are you the same way or are you a little bit more put together than I am?
1: You know, I go back and forth. So depending on the atmosphere around me, because I'm in the similar boat, I've got six or seven course ideas mapped out. The follow through with those is a matter of how do I make a grief self-guided course authentic? How do I actually create meaning here without just relying on my knowledge of gamification and points and rewarding? There's so little that can feel rewarding in the middle of a grief process for someone that the, the one-on-one and the personal touch is really the big part of it. So I've got all these great ideas and I don't have the time necessarily to follow through on them, but I also don't necessarily have the income from the book to pay someone else to do it. I'm, I'm very much an idea person. I also love to just take the lead and run with it. So my shortcoming really comes in from like, of course I can do all of these things, but should I be doing all of these things? Is this the best use of my time? Can I outsource this, still create something that is authentic, in line with who I want to be, in line with what I want to put into the world and how I want people to feel when they engage with me? And if that's it, if it's true, then I'll go for it. And if it's not, then I just kind of back off and try to avoid the pitfalls of comparison as I see other people doing something similar, especially in the grief world. it It's one of those... Oh, that's a whole nother conversation. I'll well, stop there. Yeah, well, it,
0: <laughs> and I, I know what you're saying, which is there are some people who've, who've packaged grief in one gallon jugs or in boxes with little packets and you pull out the packet and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, there is no recipe. There is, uh, I, I and I agree with you. I mean, you mentioned a brand organization that I am aware of and not that aware of because... I've been so careful because they're doing something similar to what I do, but I don't want ever to have anyone be able to claim that, oh, you ripped that off. That is my biggest fear because I'm so concerned about originality. So I assiduously guard myself by not listening to a certain podcast or read a certain book or anything like that. But what I know about it makes me a little bit ill when it comes to the formulaicness of how they lead people toward brands or becoming a brand. And and I'll be honest with you, there is no secret sauce. I've worked at, over my career, 12 agencies, and every single one of them had a, what I call Circle R branding process. Meaning it's TM, no, it's not a TM, it's a registered trademark. And they all do the exact same stuff. It's like McDonald's special sauce on a Big Mac, Hmm, strangely like Thousand Island Dressing, if you ask me. But, oh, but yeah. but it's secret sauce. It's special sauce. Right. I believe the special sauce is in my head, in your head, in the conversation, and the way we listen, the way we find, get past the, the, the dross and find the grain of gold and grab that grain of gold and, and aggregate it with another grain of gold until you've got enough. And then you literally can turn it into this gold bar and then craft it into a piece Mm -hmm. of presentation jewelry that you then wear with pride and honor every day of your life. That's how seriously I take the whole personal branding thing, which is why I don't have a flippin' course. I should have a flippin' course. I don't, because it feels incredibly inauthentic to me for it not to be a very close one-on-one conversation between me and them. I sense that you feel the same way Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, to a degree. Definitely. I I would love, I mean, I didn't get into this work to be known for it. And one of the things that I really am careful about is recognizing I am not the right fit for probably most people who are grieving to be fully honest. I'm very intense, but also intentional. And I don't want someone to feel like they're obligated to work with me because they bought the book and thought it was good. Even putting a book out there with a guidebook label on the front was really difficult because it's not, it's not, it's part memoir. It's my story. It's what worked for me. It's all the things that I've collected. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to my own book and said, Oh, thank you. This was a really good moment to return to because I need this right now. But those courses and that, that distance that's created when you try to be all things to all people, it steals the, in my opinion, authenticity of, of what you bring. And the beauty of who you are being fleshed out and becoming this unique offering in the world. Now, I don't think the people that are creating courses are bad, making bad decisions about their business. They're becoming incredibly successful, which is why it's so easy to compare yourself to what they're doing and wonder where you're going wrong. But at the same time, I I keep recognizing as well, like, well, they're all telling me to do the same thing. They're all saying, well, here's how you build a social media following. And then 30,000 of them build 300,000 population audiences, but they're all kind of repeating themselves. And I don't need to be out here to repeat myself. If what I'm saying about grief is being said somewhere else, then I'll probably just stop saying it. You know, I'm out here because I want to bring an alternate perspective to someone. And that's not necessarily going to be communicated well through a course, especially when one of the benefits of one-on-one coaching, which I am still doing right now is seeing someone's face in response to what I've said And being able to ask questions and draw whatever reaction was internal up to the surface, because there's something important there that needs to be given attention. And those are the moments you don't get when you have only website access or only online courses. All the
0: mavens of doing this would say, well, that's a great opportunity because the more time they have of yours, the more expensive you can make that because you Mm. get... You get the junior version, the the Happy Meal version for a lower cost. Then you have a medium. And the more time that they actually require, the more you can actually charge. And I use the term mercenary a lot because, yeah, of course, you have to charge for certain things to be able to keep your lights on or feed your children and, and stuff like that. But does it have to be like some of the experts that, we all see on social media all the time who are yeah. literally telling us about how much they make, you know, and, and I'm not talking about yeah. Pat Flynn's transparency and all that stuff, cause that's an admirable thing. He did that before he was making what he's making now. It's really interesting for yeah. those of us who follow him, but I can't even do that. You know, I, I would never want to do that. That's, that's not aligned with who I am as a person. Consequently, it's certainly not aligned with my personal brand. And it sounds like you've got a pretty good idea of who you are, what you do, and how you want to do it, and how you actually do it. And again, that word alignment comes out, and all of those things are aligned. Did you start out with that fully aligned in your head, or is it something you developed over time as you developed the whole restorative grief foundation for what you do?
1: Okay. So yes, it's something I've always, it's someone I've always been. The book itself, the plan for the book came out of me in about 20 minutes. I sat down and there has to be a better way to live in this world that's experiencing a pandemic that who knows how long this will go. And what's my contribution? What do I do? I have, who knows how long I'm going to be unemployed or before I can go back to work in the industry I was in. And I just wrote out this outline and I thought, okay, if this is worth it, because I've written a ton of outlines, I'm a writer and they haven't come to anything. just lots of ideas and non-finishing, right? And in this instance, it was just effortless because I am someone who sees injustice and sees the hurting and sees people that need support. And I will storm the castle to find and help them. I'm not their hero. I'm not the one with the answers. I'm not the one that's going to rescue them but I will show up and defend them against anything that could cause further harm. And so when it came to this grief model, it was very easy for me to say restoration is possible. We're not going to sit back and say it's okay that other people would minimize your grief by saying, oh, you're grieving a job loss? Well, my person died. And that's more grievous than you are experiencing. And that was something I heard commonly. And so for me, again, I'm like, no, you don't get to define Someone else's loss is less important. You don't get to define their life as less meaningful or less worthy of grief, bereavement time and grief attention. How dare you? So anytime my inner how dare you comes out, everything in me is like, what do you need? I'll pour it out. How do I come alongside you and make myself accessible in a way that doesn't just drain me completely? So when I, even when I started coaching, I knew very early on, like, this is going to be affordable for who needs it. That's why the grief course is free. I mean, it would be nice to monetize it, but it's not, that's not the reality of the direction that I want to go. So the heart of this work really does come from the heart of my way of moving through the world. I will be perpetually available to people who need it. And I have strong boundaries. So it's not like I'm just saying, whatever you need, I'm here and I'm available because that's not true. But I have, cultivated a lot of resources and a lot of connections for myself, but also for the community that I'm in to easily disseminate and say, Hey, I'm not your person because I can already tell that my too direct method is probably going to be intense or too much for you. And that's okay. I'm not offended by that, but being able to just put myself out and be like, here's who I am. Here's how I move through the world in the most loving way, take it or leave it. And I'm available. If I, if, if I have availability, I'm in, you know,
0: that's so key. You understand that you are not one size fits all. You are perfect fit or you are a perfect fit for certain individuals. And you seem to have a pretty clear idea on what profile that type of person might be. But it also sounds like you're very comfortable also with saying, you know what? I don't think I could help you. Now, do you have a network of people you work with that you can easily make referrals to people who have better skill sets or better ways of handling certain individuals so is it a yeah. is that a possibility for you
1: Yeah it definitely is I'll tell you a quick story a friend of mine that I met through Twitter he and I he is a chaplain and he is now an atheist but he started out working as a chaplain and through a church and we connected. I have a faith background, and my book is predicated on my own story. So there's a lot of conclusions that I came to. It really helped me. And it was directly intentionally toward the church when I first wrote the book because I was watching the church completely flounder in figuring out how to support each other in and themselves. And at the same time, I knew, well, I'm not the all end all be- all, but I have a lot of experience. I've been in the church a long time. so, One of the things I loved was my friend had another friend who saw him talking about my book and she was like, is this, you know me really well, is this something I would benefit from? And he had read it and said, well, there's a lot of faith language in it. There's some scriptural references. There are some conclusions. And he tagged me in the conversation and I piped right in and I looked at her her profile for just a minute. and I was like, nope, your grief is far too close to your faith practice and the history my book is going to trigger you. It's going to cause further harm. Do not read my book. Let me get you some other resources. Let me help you find some humanistic resources that are going to come alongside you and not have some conclusions that are going to cause more harm. And so I have been really intentional over the last year and a half of finding people that aren't just in my localized community, but that are really accessible online and hosting conversations with them and you know championing their work and their writing and really drawing them into the podcast as well so that I can have their expertise and their stories available because it's crucial. I just, there are some things that, I mean, I know I'm not equipped to handle and I'm not going to pretend or, or play act at someone's as a, you know, as a therapeutic resource for someone that I know needs a different skill set than mine. And that's, that's just characteristic of who I am. I'm not going to walk into a room. I'm highly capable of things and, I could probably fix your refrigerator, but it'll take me 12 hours. It would be better served if you just, you know, hired a refrigerator repairman. And I'm sorry, I can't save you the money, but I'm going to save you money in the long term because chances are I'm going to break it.
0: You know, this, what I'm going to say now may not make a lot of sense to people, but I, I want you to think about it the same way you would if Yoda said it in a Star Wars movie. The best brands are humble. They are absolutely clear about who they are, what they do and how they do it in a way that everyone understands that. But they also know what they don't do, what they can't do, what they won't do. And consequently, they don't encourage you to buy their product if it doesn't work for you. I always point to Apple because I'm a big Apple fan and full disclosure, I even own some Apple stock. Yeah, that's how I feel about that company. And as uh-huh. arrogant as a lot of people think they are as a brand, I find them incredibly humble. They don't go in to so many different areas that people say they should. There is no yeah. full screen Apple TV and, and there's the little Apple TV pucks, right? They went into there. Why isn't there a full screen, a 54 inch Apple TV TV? Why didn't they do that? The answer is, and they've said this themselves, we can't do it better than the people who are already doing it. We don't go into areas where we can't make things better, easier, more designed, more uh, user-friendly, user uh, give it a better user experience. They don't go into those areas. Now, for those of us who really pay attention to the company, we're hearing a lot of noise about Apple maybe coming out with a car. Now, that means knowing that they know who they are, what they do and how they do it, that car is going to be better designed, more user-friendly, the experience is gonna be extraordinary, or else they won't do it. Which is why the second they announce the fact that they're coming out with an Apple car, Tesla is gonna see their market capitalization crater, at least significantly, because a lot of those people who are waiting to get their Tesla are gonna go, wait a minute. Wait, I wanna see what yeah. Apple's doing. <laughs> so Apple, an incredibly to some people, arrogant brand, is still incredibly humble. Now, the way you've described what you do, you're incredibly humble and yet confident. You confidently say, I'm not for you. There's strength in that yeah. confidence, but there's humility yeah. in that understanding that, you know what, I'm not all things to all people for the people who get me. I'm incredibly valuable for the people who don't, I might be harmful. You use the word harm. So that's how hard you take that, right?
1: Yeah. It's, I take it very personally because I have experienced it myself. I've experienced people look right at me and say, Oh, I'm the person. To I have a BS meter that hits 11 almost instantly in the right circumstances. And so when I hear that, I'm immediately put off. There, The other day I was actually connected to a, a group of wellness professionals and was looking for a an in-person grief counselor in a city nearby. Now I do a lot of coaching online and could easily have served this client who was referred to me as a friend. And I said, you know what? If she really wants someone in person, I'm not the person, let me get you some names and numbers. And so I reached out to this wellness group and almost immediately, A person, I said, I need a person in person in this city. And someone else in the wellness group said, well, I'm not in that city, I'm in your city. And I'm also available on Zoom. So here's my number. And I was so put off immediately because I thought you're looking for yourself. I don't care how good you are. I wouldn't be in this wellness group of professionals if I wasn't equally available and capable of taking care of this client. But I'm looking at what the client would best benefit from it's not about me. This isn't about ego. I would, I I'm not the best person at this. You know, I make mistakes. We all do. And to believe otherwise is foolish. And so I just, I see that as an opportunity for myself to continually come back into alignment because I'm still grieving things. I'm grieving, having to shift completely. I'm grieving my mom. Things come up all the time in my work that remind me of her and in, in positive and heavy ways. So, the work I get to do with people, helping them find a way back to themselves in a new path down a new trail is just, it's so life affirming that I don't mind not being the person for everyone. I'm not going to sit back and, and cause a great grief event because that's one of the things that I do hear often as I get these clients that are coming to me will say like, hey, what's your experience working with someone, working with a professional, working with in grief, what have you read? What do you believe is true about it? And they all come to conclusions where some of it was helpful and ultimately some of it was really hard, but there's always someone that says, well, then they told me that I'd been grieving for a long enough time and I needed to get over it, or I just needed to pray more, or I just needed to read my Bible more, or I just needed to, if I could just do this one thing as if it was a silver bullet. And that's the stuff that I hear. And I think there is no, like you said, there is no magic sauce. There's no formula that fixes any of this. We are learning to carry what has become the heaviest thing in our lives. And doing that means being pretty humble about what we can and cannot carry. And so if I can't present that in myself, if I can't be honest and authentic about what I am capable of carrying and who I am, then I have no right to show up for other people and say, oh, here's some advice. Uh, The principle of the wounded healer, it's, there's actually, there's a lot of, of conversation around this, but I have found, especially in the grief coaching world, a lot of wounded healers who haven't necessarily done their own work. We have these great experiences. We find revelations that work for us. And we think, ah, I got it. I can go into the marketplace. I can bring this to people. I can make this a passive income stream for myself and sell a course and show up on Instagram, do these great reels and have all these followers. And it's going to be great because people are going to love me and I'm going to feel successful and accomplished. When the truth is, what you've done is monetized your personal story, which is okay if you're doing it in a way that is intentional on behalf of someone else. If you're just monetizing, like this is what I did, especially in the mental health arena, especially in this even fitness and physical fit health and all of it emotional health. It is not, it's not an area where you can just decide, okay, I want to get involved in impacting other people's lives. Okay. I can do this thing. And many coaches do just that. So that's where I have seen a lot of harm inadvertently caused. No one's out here trying to make things harder or worse by any means, but we don't know what we're saying. A lot of the times there was one gal that I'm connected to who is also a grief coach and the other day she shared something that made my blood boil. And I, it took everything within me, not to just, you know, call her out and say, that was not okay. Cause that's going to cause harm to someone, but it was this, I'm here to help you find purpose for your pain. And that statement is so ubiquitous in grief world, because we want to believe that there's meaning in everything, that there's purpose for everything. But the truth is there's not always a meaning for everything. There's not always a purpose. My mom didn't die so that I could go forward and become an author and a grief professional. My mom died because she had cancer. I'm not going to turn that into something that creates meaning in my life. I'm going to find ways to carry meaning. And I'm going to know that that's always going to be a part of my story that hurts the most. There was no meaning in my miscarriage. There's no meaning in a lot of those things. But when we as coaches or as mental wellness professionals or any type of professional think that we can sell and package and benefit from little catchphrases and little quirky sayings that we'll make everything better. We are fooling ourselves. And that is so grievously harmful. It just, it it touches on that ethical innocence side for me where I say, okay, I'm storming the castle now because I will get a list of names of people you've hurt and you will recant what you've just said. It just, it riles me up so much that it puts me really back on my heels, honestly, and makes me question what I'm doing, checking back in with myself. Have I said something along those lines? Have I interjected in a way that could be harmful? Of course the answer is yes, but am I doing it with intention? Am I saying things that I know have caused harm or am I inadvertently moving through the world and then finding, oh, something I did was not helpful. I'm going to go reconcile as best I can or make it right as best I can. But yeah, mitigating harm and harm reduction in this is so valuable to me because that's, we're all chasing wholeness. We're all chasing healing and some people are just struggling with how to present that without making it about themselves. Yeah, well, we
0: <laughs> well, I, I I'm hope listeners are are feeling the same way I am, which is Mandy has just demonstrated very, very, very clearly who she is, what she does, and how she does it. It explains a lot of why you've done the things you've done and why you haven't done some of the other things that you haven't done. And the word that I keep coming back to is alignment. You have yourself aligned with who you are, what you do and how you do it. You are a, a brand. You want to build your brand so that people can come to you, the ones that can best be served by you so that they can find you. They need to know about you. So how do you do that? You package yourself in such a way And you are consistently demonstrating that so that people can understand who would benefit best from you. And I think you've seen that, or we've just listened to you. Do exactly that, demonstrate. I love to say branding's about two things, differentiation and demonstration. You've clearly differentiated yourself with this idea of restorative grief because it begs the conversation, what does that actually mean? Great, so you've differentiated yourself now you're demonstrating how you are different and more valuable because you are fully aligned with who you actually are. You know, I, I, we've made fun of overly funneled sales processes a little bit, but that's because I think both of us have a healthy agnosticism about it. Or I, I, I don't know. Skepticism? They're right for
1: yeah.
0: They're, they're right for someone. They're not right yeah. for me. And I. Yeah. That's why I really enjoyed meeting you on your podcast, and I've been really, really happy to have you on mine. So Mandy, Mm -hmm. how can people find out more from you and where can they find your book and your podcast?
1: Great questions. And thank you, DP. It's been such a delight getting to know you and being on your show and having you on mine. It's, It's so refreshing to talk with people and hear their stories about loss from every arena. There's no No person that's untouched by it. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that with me too. So my book is available, Restorative Grief, Embracing Our Losses Without Losing Ourselves on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter at Mandy Capehart or on my website, Mandy
0: Oh, isn't that amazing when people have their handles be the same as their name? Isn't that (laughs) helpful? And I'm guessing your photo... I'm guessing your profile photo actually looks like you too.
1: It does. I just barely changed it. It's, it was my author photo from the book for the longest time on all the platforms because I wanted it to be all the same. So like you go here, is this the right Mandy K part? Okay, cuz it's a somewhat recognizable name but not entirely unique, and I just recently changed it on one of them and I was like in my instincts, I should I should go change it everywhere. Okay, I should go change it everywhere.
0: All right. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to change the so packaging of your soft drink, you better make sure that it's, one, aligned with the brand in terms of color palette and type and all that stuff, but also right, the, the way it engages with people the second they walk down that soft drink aisle. So good for you for doing all that stuff. <laughs> what a, a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope listeners will take Mandy up on her podcast and check out her book as well, especially anybody out there who might be going through an episode of grief that is actually not an episode, but your entire life. Cause uh, speaking for myself, I know once you're in one, it never goes away, but based on what you're telling me, it doesn't have to be something that keeps you down. It can, you can restore yourself out of it. So definitely check that out. Available wherever fine podcasts are free. The restorative grief podcast with Mandy Capehart. And again, Capehart is spelled C-A-P-E-H-A-R-T. Well, that's That's it for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love for you all to like, subscribe, refer, and review this podcast wherever you get it, because that really does help other people find it. That's it for this week on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I'm your host, D.P. Knutin, and she is Mandy Capehart. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye.